the Appendix N Podcast, Episode 11, The Call of Cthulhu. Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. This is the show where we read and discuss the authors that influenced Gary Gygax, one of the creators of Dungeons and Dragons. In the 1979 Dungeon Master's Guide, Gygax published a list of his favorite fantasy authors, and this list has come to be known simply as Appendix N. This will be the third and final part of my super amazing Lovecraftian special for 2014. It was all supposed to come out in the month of October for Halloween. That's what I really wanted to happen, but late is better than never. You're going to hear two segments on this show. The first is on H.P. Lovecraft's most famous short story, The Call of Cthulhu, first published in February 1928. I will be joined by Dan Samil and Eric Paquette. Then, at the end of the program, Jeff Wickstrom will join the three of us for a brief discussion about The Call of Cthulhu, the role-playing game of Lovecraftian horror, a game that is nearly as old as Dungeons & Dragons itself. Before we get to the program, let us take a moment to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, online retailer of new and out-of-print role-playing games, war games, board games, and miniatures. Since 1997, they have helped thousands of gamers from around the world save money and find exactly what they need. You can find them on the web at www.noblenight.com. My pick for this episode is the classic Call of Cthulhu module, Shadows of Yogg-Sothoth, from Chaosium. You can find the second edition on Noble Knight for the low, low price of $20. And with me tonight to talk about the Call of Cthulhu are two guests. I have first my friend uh, Dan Samil. Welcome, Dan. Thank you very much. And special guest on loan from The Tome Show is Eric Paquette. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, how are you all doing? I'm, I'm doing, doing good. fantastic. All right, so Eric, this is your first time on Appendix N. I've worked with you on the Tome Show before, but for those of you out there that... Bleh, but for those listeners out there who don't know who you are, introduce yourself. Who are you? I'm Eric Paquette. You might have heard me on the Tome Show Book Club. I've been a regular guest and sometimes guest host. But I'm a gamer here in Ottawa, Canada. I've uh, been gaming for over 20 years. Interested in all types of games, including Cthulhu. Excellent. So tonight, we are talking about the classic tale from H.P. Lovecraft, The Call of Cthulhu. Folks, is there, is there any story of, of Lovecraft that, that, is, that is more iconic than, than this one? Uh, not really. Everything that uh, uh, people uh, know or think they know about H.P. Lovecraft is demonstrated in this uh, cosmic horror People going crazy, death, murder, uh, strange rituals going on in unknown places. It's it, it's basically, when you think Lovecraft, this is the stories you think of. It is the, for all any sort of gamer, this is one thing that can get you your foot to the door for Lovecraft, and then you can go explore the other stories. And, and, and sort of like... We'll 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 discuss this more when we talk about the Call of Cthulhu role playing game. But that but the but the 
the structure of the story basically plays out like a campaign of the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Yes, it starts out pretty much as in receiving something from your relative or a friend that it knows, and then exploring from there, but we'll be getting that in the story. All right. So, uh, the Call of Cthulhu starts out... Uh, we're, we are apparently reading uh, the papers of the late Francis Wayland Thurston of, of Boston... So this is this is one of the few Lovecraftian protagonists who actually uh, gets a, gets a name, uh, and then then we we have a quote from uh, Algernon Blackwood, uh, who was an actual person, I think. Yeah, it was. He he did do some writings in, in existence, so other stuff to maybe refer. Yeah, like every like, the the I I find that the more I do appendix and the more I think I really need to go back and do authors that came even even earlier because there's there, there's just always someone there's there's just always someone inspiring someone everything comes from somewhere I mean Lovecraft himself was 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 heavily in, uh, in influenced by by Poe and I don't really know much about about Blackwood but apparently he was he was a fan a fan of his and and he was a fan of of Lord uh, Dunsany, who we 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 have read. Uh, yeah, he uh, uh, a lot of his works. Uh, if you go back uh, through a lot of his stories, um, you can see a lot of influences uh, from his favorite authors, uh, from from his uh, first several stories um, to to his his last. There there's always something in there that you could point out. Oh, well, there's Lord Dunsany here, or or um, you know, there's definitely a Poe aspect there. Uh, it's uh, almost there's not a single story that I know of that you can actually take a look at. And this this is pure Lovecraft. No, there's there's always something there that he touches on. Okay, so. Uh, this this story is is broken into three sort of sort of chapters. Uh, the first chapter is the horror in clay, and uh, we, we we're introduced to our protagonist, and his uncle has just died. Yeah, his granduncle, the professor uh, emeritus of Semitic language, George Gamel Angel. Professor Angel or Angle. Um, I'm not sure which it is of of Providence, Rhode Island, which was which was Lovecraft's home hometown. And uh, Professor Professor Angle has actually died under rather mysterious circumstances, right? Right, Eric? Yes. Uh, basically, apparently, it was a, someone a a nautical looking Negro, which is more of the uh, term that he was using. Uh, basically from the queer dark girls that came about and basically seemed to have attacked. Right, so this, this guy was uh, getting, getting off a, off a boat, returning to uh, the United States from, from uh, points abroad, when uh, this, this man just comes out of the shadows and very casually brushes against him, and uh, Professor Angle just falls down dead, like you do, Right. And if you if you've read any sort of like spy novel or you know you're, you're you're probably thinking well you know poison a poison needle something something like that he was clearly assassinated, um, 
So Professor Professor Engel has left our our hero uh, a, a whole bunch of of papers and and a box. Uh, Dan, why don't why don't why don't you tell us about what uh, what was left behind? Um, yeah, well, he was left a, a, a he was basically the uh, a person who uh, was set up to go through his stuff uh, and make sure that it goes to uh, the right people, the museums, uh, and he was given a bunch of um, interesting uh, memorabilia from his lifetime of travels. Uh, however. There was one box that was locked uh, that he could never open. Uh, well, uh, he could not open. And uh, it wasn't until he thought about looking in his uh, in the guy's jacket uh, or coat that he found a ring that opened the chest. Yeah, and this this is just a, just like like a very casual throwaway line, but but apparently. Uh, this 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 ring in this guy's coat pocket had a had a had a key in it, which I think is clearly the inspiration for Bilbo Baggins and the One Ring in in uh, Tolkien's writings. I mean, here here we 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 have the seed right here. We have we have found it. End of end end of story. Uh, but uh, seriously, so uh, our our hero who's name i'm gonna keep forgetting because we we only ever see uh, uh mr thurston francis Way- wayland thurston so uh francis wayland thurston uh finds uh, a, a a bunch of documents labeled uh C- C- cthulhu cult and and one of them is a a manuscript that records uh several conversations that professor angle has had with a man named wilcox and uh, the 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 other little booklet that he gets is is notes from a meeting with an inspector uh, Legrasse of New Orleans at a meeting of the uh, American Archaeological Society uh, in St. Louis. And there there's also uh, this this box which you mentioned, uh, which once he finally gets it open, create uh, c- contains this. Uh, uh, bas-relief sculpture. It's a it's a tablet, uh, about five by by six inches. So I guess about the size of a tablet computer. That was a joke. <laughs> there we go. Excellent. Uh, but it's here. Here we have our our first uh, description of what we will eventually learn is is Cthulhu. We, we there's there's these there's these weird uh, glyphs, and then. Trying to find where the where the where the description is. Uh, it is a picture of an octopus, a dragon, and a human caricature. A pulpy, tentacled head surmounted a grotesque and scaly body with rudimentary wings. Yeah. So one thing I want to I want to point out out here is that um, Lovecraft is 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 famous for um, horrors that are indescribable right it was it was so terrible it, it was beyond description uh, I, I I can't even tell you about it because if I remember it I will I will go mad but but all throughout this story we have we have fairly um, rather detailed uh, descriptions of of Cthulhu I mean he's he's described here he's described uh, in in later chapters so that so that by the end, we have a fairly good idea of, of what this monster 
looks like, and that's he's he's probably one of the most uh, de- depicted of Lovecraft's monsters, just because we have such a such a fairly good description of what he looks like. Yeah, that is true. Um, if you look at all of his other creatures he's he's come across, um, most of them will be will have a like a slight description, but he goes into uh, real clear detail uh, with Cthulhu, especially near the end. Even though it's it's kind of confusing, but it kind of just adds to it. Um, and the fact that uh, this description, uh, I think, is what made uh, Cthulhu being so iconic. Okay, so um, we we find out that the the tablet is is not actually some some sort of ancient artifact. Uh, Professor Angel uh, Angle actually acquired it from a young artist by the name of Wilcox, and we we learn that Wilcox visited Angle and started telling him about uh, dreams. Yeah, dreams we've been having. And, and and at first, Angle's not really interested, but but something uh, the the young man says sort of sort of sparks uh, a memory, and then he be, be becomes interested. Um, Eric, what what can you tell us about about Wilcox and 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 the dreams? Well, basically, that his dream was he's been occurring for a, a while, and he keep recurring in the same similar dreams that he's find. They actually named dates. So it's from March 23rd to, I believe, April 2nd. That he's been... It's where the, these discussions that between Cox and Professor Angel. Uh, but yeah. Uh, they... The, basically, they're mostly dreams of a madman strange dreams but he does mention sounds like that often repeating like Cthulhu and Riley which anybody who's followed the Cthulhu mythos and all know that these are connected into the mythos itself yeah so like he's he's actually dreaming about uh, Cthulhu and the and the and the city of uh, I I say it really, but I guess you can say it how however you wanted. Uh, the, the the term cy- cyclopean uh, uh, appears here, which is a, a, another word that uh, Lovecraft is is particularly famous for. Although I first encountered it uh, when I was reading uh, the Moon Pool. Well, I, I I didn't first encounter. It. I first encountered it in Lovecraft, but I I I. Uh, yeah. I, I encountered an, an earlier use of it when I was uh, reviewing the Moon Pool for a previous episode of of Appendix N, and that story was by uh, A. Merritt, another another author that that influenced Lovecraft. So that's awesome. Um, but, yeah. But, but yeah, he does use Cyclopean throughout the story to just to to describe the city of Riley or Rileya or however you wish to pronounce it. Which which. Is- and and cy- cy- cyclopean just means really big. Yeah, gigantic. Maybe even bigger than gigantic. So, all right. So, 
uh, Wilcox is is having these these strange dreams, and they and they uh, abruptly stop after after April second, uh, and and I think uh, Wilcox has uh, uh, Wilcox is 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 actually is actually hot. Uh, hospitalized like during 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 the last part of this of this of this uh uh period he he suffers a breakdown uh and then his his dreams re- return to normal but but then uh professor angel like begins an, an investigation he 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 starts gathering these uh newspaper clippings from all over uh the world having to do with like strange uh uh occurrences uh, instances of in insanity, mass hallucinations, uh, suicides—just anything unusual or hinting at the supernatural happening uh, around the globe—and uh, he gathers a large number of these and and, and finds that there, there's actually quite a, a number of of strange things that 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 all happened, but between March 23rd and and April 2nd. Actually, from February 28th to April 2nd. It's mostly stuff by artists and poets and anybody who's basically sensitive to the world around them or, or highly inspired. Right. And um, this, this sort of takes us back to the, the very first line of the, of, the, of the story, which is kind of become a, a classic quote. The most merciful thing in the world is the inability of the human mind to correlate all all its contents. This this whole story is about an in investigation first by this uh, professor Angle and then by his his heir uh, Thurston, just sort of gathering these tiny little p- scraps of information and sort of sort of piecing them together un- until they they be. Until he learns the the horrible truth, right, Dan? Yeah, uh, I I would have to state that that uh, the first paragraph nails is probably the best uh, opening uh, to any of his stories, um, and uh, it it lays out without giving anything away um, what is to come. That uh, the 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 universe is not something that we should be really messing with. Um, that uh, that things are going that, that we one day are going to come across something that is so messed up that we will either just forget that it ever existed, or uh, we will go insane with that knowledge. Do you do you want to read the paragraph? Do a, do a little. The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all of its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of a black sea of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, and each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little, but some day the piecing together of disassociated knowledge will upon upon us terrifying vistas of reality and of our frightful position therein, that we shall either go mad from the revelations or flee from the light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. Yeah, wow. That's some, that's some heavy stuff. I, I mean, and l- let's just m- minimalize this as much as possible. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> we, will, we, will, we will come back to this, to this later. Ugh. All right, 
So, um, uh, Mr. Mr. Thurston is is sort of uh, looking through his his uncle's notes, and, and he's he's reading about about Wilcox and all these newspaper clippings, and he's kind of like, eh, this is is kind of kind of interesting. Uh, but but then then uh, the next thing that he comes to is the transcript of Professor Engel's meeting with Inspector Legrasse in St. Louis, and, and that that is the opening of the second part of this story, uh, Chapter Two: The Tale of Inspector Legrasse. Eric, why don't why don't you tell us? Well, this is a earlier experience that had come, in basically. Uh, in 1908, when uh, basically the, the American Archaeological Society had its annual m- meeting in St. Louis, and ba- basically he w- person was when was was there, and that's when the uh, inspector John Raymond Lagrasse came arrived with this uh, grotesque, repulsive stone statuette made of a. M- Stone that they, nobody could recognize—a green stone, I believe it was. Yeah, it's 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 kind of sort of like the uh, idol from from the Doom that came to Sarnath, which was which which was also made of this weird green stone that nobody quite knew what it what it what it was. Um, we're 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 kind of sort of seeing it at at several points in the stories, like themes and ideas that we <laughs> that we've seen before. Just, just sort of, just sort of coming together. Yep. Uh, so yeah, so uh, Inspector Le, Le Grass has this weird statue of Cthulhu. He doesn't know it's it's Cthulhu, Cthulhu. but he's he's acquired this statue, and no one in in uh, Nolens, uh knows what it is. So he's he's brought it to this meeting of distinguished archaeologists, and he he passes passes it it around, and nobody there knows what it is until he. Uh, one one professor, uh, a Professor Webb, uh, mentions that uh, he had come across something similar in West Greenland, which is probably the only time West Greenland has ever been interesting in a story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically describes as Mr. Webb, Professor Webb described meeting up with a tribe of generate Eskimo whose religion basically wasn't too sure but basically they he found there and I believe from there was a yes uh, there was a ritual which he describes really well yeah so and, he 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 was actually uh, told about a Cthulhu by a by a wizard priest, uh, which is what I always try to play in Dungeons and Dungeons and Dragons because you have arcane no- uh, magic and divine magic, and you've got them both. And how could you go wrong? But but I think Lovecraft here means uh, something different. Yeah. Uh, Anga Angacock, which I can, I can only assume is is Lovecraft badly transcribing some Eskimo word. Or Inuit word uh, that that he that he, that he heard, but yeah. So these these uh, de- degenerate Eskimos uh, apparently uh, dance around an, an idol that looks a lot like the one Professor or sorry Inspector yeah. Grass has has brought, and they and they chant a phrase which is 
very similar to the one that Inspector Legrasse heard in the swamps of Louisiana. Would anyone care to take a stab at reciting <laughs> this phrase? I could um, try. Who wants to go first? I'll try. Okay. Pnagui, Magufangma, Cthulhu, Riley, Waganagal, Fataigan. Okay. I'll write that. There was there was a little too much French accent on there, but. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll give it a shot here. Sure. Pnagui, Magfanaf, Cthulhu, Riley, Waganagal, Fataigan. Not bad. Not bad. I sound like I'm, I'm like almost speaking in reverse. <laughs> well, since since we haven't actually summoned uh, Cthulhu, I can I can only assume that both of you pronounce it it, it wrong. So thank thank the universe uh, for that. Uh, but but this this phrase basically translates to "In his house at Rilia, dead Cthulhu waits dreaming." Uh, and. After after this revelation by Professor Webb, where only only then are we treated to the story of how Inspector Legrasse came across this statue. Uh, who who wants to uh, summarize? Dan. Okay. Um, well, uh, there there were these uh, people have gone missing, uh, and they uh, they tracked them down uh, to this swamp, uh, which they uh, traverse. Um, quite a distance uh, when they come across um, a, a, what is to pe- appears to be some sort of uh, almost like a, a, a rave, a ritual of, of violence and a horror. Uh, these people dancing around this giant circular flame, uh, obviously the people who went missing are hung upside down in the center of it. And uh, they're making these noises that literally freeze their blood. They're they're so scared that they actually pause and they they don't even want to go further. And it's only their police training that actually makes them get up and you know to 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 do their job. Uh, they uh, they think they hear like beatings of wings in the air. They they think they see a mountainous white uh, image uh, b- behind trees or in, in, in the water. Uh, with glowing eyes, uh, and in the end, they they go in. The the police go in, charging uh, bullets blazing, uh, and in the end, they uh, uh, they kill. I think like five people uh, and arrest nearly fifty. I think like 40, 47 people, um, and uh, uh, and the rest just uh, basically escape. And they're and they're and they're all chanting that that same phrase that that. Uh, Professor Webb heard uh, all the way across the globe in in West uh, Greenland. I think to say properly, we'll have to pull out your tongue. Uh, but yeah, the um, uh, and they and that's where they actually find that uh, that statuette. And and we we actually like here before the police even even uh, go there they are they are actually summoned by uh, frightened you know uh, uh, people living living in the swamp who are just like normal people uh, uh, living there they're 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 coming to the police of you know New New, New Orleans because it's the nearest big big city saying hey there's these there's these creepy people living even deeper in the in the swamp. 
and 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 they do scary black magic and and they live by this by this haunted haunted lake so like but but before we 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 even even get there we we know that 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 this place has a has a rep has a rep reputation and we we never even even see the swamp creature uh we we do get get told that uh there's there's also a there's also a apparently these these faceless uh bat-winged uh devils that that will like e- emerge from 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 caves deep in the in in the earth and carry them off i don't think we, we i don't think the police actually see those those either but uh those would would probably be night gaunts even even though they don't they don't they're not mentioned by by name here and we don't we don't even find out what the what the big white swamp creature is it could be near night gaunts or possibly biakis yeah the um uh, they because uh, they they I, they've heard the rumors beforehand, they they believe that they do hear things. Uh, one of the uh, police uh, uh, officers actually said he saw something with glowing white eyes, uh, but they they basically chalked it up to the, the moment the, the the fear of everything that was going on. But this is this is is, is one of one of the the earliest. Uh, stories where Lovecraft starts to build up his, his, uh, Cthulhu mythos, uh, introducing, uh, monsters that would appear, that, that would appear again or be, be referenced in, in his stories or by, by other, other authors. I think most of the, of the stories that, that, that we've, uh, reviewed up, up till now on, on the show have, have not been heavy with, uh, what we would call mythos elements. Um, I, I think I think the the rats in the walls mentioned on uh, Nyar Lathotep. Um, the the doom that came to Sarnath mentioned uh, uh, Bokrug. But but here's here's where we first get in, introduced. I think to the to the idea of the great old ones, and we get we get that from one one, one of the captured uh, cultists. Uh, a fellow by the name of Old Castro, one of one of the few cultists who can who can speak uh, uh, English, and he tells us all about the great global conspiracy that that has existed since the since the dawn of time, and 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 these these people that worship the great old ones in the in the far corners of the world. Eric, why don't why don't you tell us the 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 horrible hideous truth about the great old ones? Well, they basically came from beyond the stars, basically, and came and ruled the the earth long, long ago, before before there was any men in existence. Uh, they basically came from the sky, and they ruled in the mighty city of Riley. Uh, but now they're gone, basically. They've gone down there underneath, underneath the earth and underneath the sea. They've been, their body's dead, but even then they're dead. They're not really dead. They'll come back. Um, basically, that's where the, this cult is basically taking care of stuff to try to, as basically, and even mentioned that 
this is a instance when you actually mentioned that Cthulhu is a great priest. Yeah, we don't. We don't even. We're, we're not even certain if if he is one of one of the one of the great old ones. But he's he's their their high priest, and he's this yeah. uh, abominable immortal being. So how much more terrible could these great old ones be? Yeah, the uh, the, the fact that you have um, the leader of uh, the the cult on Earth, which is. Cthulhu, um, and he's just this horrible abomination. Uh, uh, even though they describe him, they don't really accurately describe him. Um, and uh, and the fact that uh, he is what almost like every other uh, uh, servitor race in uh, the uh, the Cthulian uh, mythos uh, look up to. I mean, you have to wonder. You know who exactly? You know what are these gods? Which uh, Lovecraft, uh, uh, thankfully, actually goes into uh, in uh, later stories. Who are they? What are they? How do they interact? Why are they here? Why do they even care? You know, um, and and so forth. It's a it's one of the great uh, uh, aspects of Cthulhu, and why everybody, uh, a lot of people, actually think of him as a god when he's not. Well, we don't, we don't, we don't really know quite what he is but this is this is is also where we uh get get the bit about uh the the stars be, being right uh, yeah. because these 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 alien beings they 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 came to earth and when the stars were right they could they could just you know cross be, between worlds and they could basically do do anything but when when the stars were wrong they they could not live and uh it it says that uh the the cult would never die till the stars came right again and the secret priests take great cthulhu from his tomb to revive his subjects and resume his rule of earth the time would be easy to know, for then mankind would have become as the great old ones, free and wild and beyond good and evil, with laws and morals thrown aside, and all men shouting and killing and reveling in joy. Is it, yeah. So, just an aside, um, beyond good and evil, that's a, that's a Nietzsche thing, right? Is it? <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, you're asking the wrong person about Nietzsche. Okay. Yeah. Now, now I'm curious whether whether or not whether or not Nietzsche was before or after Lovecraft, but I guess that's, I'll, that's that's neither here nor there. But we 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 also very shortly after this passage get our very first mention of the infamous Necronomicon of the Mad <laughs> Arab Abdul Alhazred, which is not actually a, an actual Arab name. Like you couldn't actually construct an Arab name that way. Because, but anyways. <laughs> Lovecraft's knowledge of Arabic was not that much better than his knowledge of French or whatever Inuits speak. <laughs> exactly. But, he, everything he did was pieced together by books from his library. But we, we, we get that famous couplet, that is not dead, which can't eternal lie. And with strange eons, even death may die. By the way, Jeff, I just made a check. Nietzsche was before Lovecraft. Okay. And uh, oh, yeah. that is one of my favorite lines of all of his 
uh, of his stories because that just I, there's just a, a almost an epic feel to it. That is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange ands, even death may die, which basically means no no matter how long these beings are dead, they're gonna come up back. The, the, there's no way of stopping them. You, there, there's nothing you can do except move literally the stars in, in hopes to, uh, you know, to keep them down permanently. Yes. You it's, have it's, to manipulate universe, the universe itself and the, the arrangement of the, the celestial objects to be able to contain them in their internal slumber. It is, it is, it is, as a, as, as, as poetry goes, it is, it is Lovecraft's uh, e- e- equivalent of, of the ring poem. One, one ring to, to rule them all. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an I- iconic couplet, which, which perfectly en- encapsulates his uh, mythos. The, the great ones are for, for, forever they are e- eternal, and they are uh, beyond uh, petty human concepts such as death. Okay, so uh, basically, um, what's this dude's name? Thurston. Yeah, Thurston. I, I'm never going to remember this dude's name as long as I live. Francis Wayland Thurston. It's it's primarily uh, out of all of his. Uh... A protagonist is like, oh wait, this one has a name. That's <laughs> just very unusual. Yeah. So, uh, Mister Mister Thurston uh, gets through reading uh, the the story of In- Inspector Le- Legrass, and he he puts it uh, alongside, along with the transcripts of Professor uh, Engels' talks with uh, young Mister Mister Wilcox and and all the newspaper paper clippings. And at this point in the story, he's Basically decided. Well, this is this is all very interesting, but it's probably not real. He's he's still sort of thinking that uh, this this Wilcox guy was was kind of playing a joke on his on his uncle, maybe. Yeah, uh, that uh, he was just he was just crazy, or he he was bored, and uh, the 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 and the Legrasse was just uh, it was just. Some strange yokels in the in the in the swamps. <laughs> yeah, he he's he's he he's kind of more in, inclined to to believe uh, uh, P- Professor Webb and in- Inspector Legrass, Le- okay. and he's he's willing to, to think, well, maybe my my uncle was was on the verge of some major archaeological discovery. Like maybe I could continue his work and 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 get published and be, be become famous, Eric. Yes. You, sound, you sounded like you were going to say something. Oh, no, sorry. Okay. So this this leads us into chapter three, the madness from 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 the sea. Uh, and this uh, it, it it brings us back to to the very first line of the of the story about about the about the mind correlating its its contents and the and the, and the piecing together of disparate clues. Our, our our hero might not have gone any further in his investigation, but he he chances to be visiting a friend when when he sees a a clipping from an Australian newspaper, uh, dated April eighteenth, nineteen twenty five, and it's it's about um, 
a a mystery derelict found at sea. Uh, a a ship called the Vigilant returns to New New Zealand uh, with the uh, sur- survivor of of a of a of a shipwreck. A a is he Norwegian? Yes, a a Nor- Nor- Norwegian man by by the by the name of Gustav Johansson is found uh, uh, adrift at at that. Let me, let, me, let me start over. A Norwegian uh, gentleman by the name of Gustav Johansson is found adrift at at sea. Uh, it's it's just him and a dead man aboard his his ship, uh, the 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 Alert, and he has a very strange story to tell, and he's he's kind of reluctant to give up all the all the details. Um, so. Uh, our our protagonist first goes to New Zealand to to try and to try and find him, and then finds out he's returned to Norway. So he he goes to Norway to track this this guy down, and to, only to find out that uh, Mister Johansson has has actually perished under mysterious circumstances very similar to Professor Angle at the beginning of the story. He was just sort of. Like I think a potted plant falls on him, or or something, as he's just kind of walking down the street. And it's 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 at at this point that that our hero just sources just starts to get this this glimmer that there's a worldwide conspiracy going on, and and, and maybe you know his his own days are are numbered, but he manages to get. Um, Gustav's journal from his 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 wife, and this is is where we we get the final piece of the story. Uh, who who would like to tell us of the fateful uh, voyage of the of the of the Emma, and its 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 crew's uh, encounter with the dread city of Rilia? Okay, um, the. Uh, but- uh, during the, uh, a trip, the uh, Emma comes across uh, a, um, a a yacht, and it's and it's basically filled by uh, pirates. Um, uh, they I think they mentioned them as half half casts, uh, which they uh, used in, in a similar vein to the uh, the cult in the swamp, uh, and they basically try to warn them off to get get out of here. We don't want you here. And of course, as uh, the uh, the crew of Emma seems to be very suspicious, uh, decide no, we're going to take a look at this anyway. Uh, in which case, the uh, uh, the alert uh, at, like attacks them. Um, the The crew of Emma was able to actually kill the crew, uh, lost their own ship in battle, for God how, uh, and jumped onto the uh, the alert. Uh, and they they started uh, going to the coordinates where they. Uh, they were warned away from, which, interestingly enough, H.P. Lovecraft puts in there the actual coordinates, which is, I think, somewhere in the Pacific. Yes. Hey, where, uh, where, where are they? Oh, yeah, here we go. South latitude, 47 degrees, nine minutes. minutes. Okay. West, west longitude, 126 degrees, 43 minutes. Yeah. So, so not, not only do, do we have dates in the story, but we have the exact latitude and longitude of the city of the great old ones 
Yeah, it's actually close to the oceanic pole of inaccessibility, which is the point farthest in the ocean from any landmass. That that's interesting. I wonder. I wonder if uh, Lovecraft just just happened to know that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and the the fact that uh, they actually state uh, several latitude and longitudes uh, throughout the story uh, where uh, the the alert was found and and so forth that is very unique uh, in any of Lovecraft tales because he's usually very vague. Uh, he'll give you like a town's name, but he's he rarely tells you you know street names or uh, and so forth. Uh, so that. That by itself is a. Uh, I think this is the first time he really goes out of his way to explain. This is where. This is when these things happen, which I, adds a great dimension. I, I yeah. I I kind of feel it. It 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 makes it scarier to probably the 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 people of the of the nineteen twenties who would be uh, reading this because like you could you could sort of picture this actually happening. Um, it's 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 not so scary to people who can look up on uh, uh, Google Maps eg- exactly where all these, these places are. Um, but, yeah, like, it, it's, it's, yeah, it, it definitely makes the, makes the story meatier. Well, uh, back then, you know, it's like, it, I, I guess in a way, it's sort of like uh, if today you went to the movies, uh, what's going to be scarier, you know, uh, you know, Narnia, <laughs> or you know the uh, an address that you can actually visit in your you know your own hometown uh, it, it it gives a a person the ability to actually um more visualize the the, the happenings and it, i think it does give them a little bit more of a uh, a fear factor uh, definitely back in that time would you would you would you say that that this is the equivalent of those of those uh, movies with with like 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 the shaky handheld camera and the and the gritty you know realism it it, it looks like it was you know taped on on somebody's iPhone or something. Uh, in a manner of speaking, in a roundabout way, yes, uh, because he, he's going into so much detail uh, for people in that time would know. Um, it definitely makes it a lot more personable to them. Okay, so. Um, the, the crew of the, of the Emma, which is, which is now the crew of the alert, uh, manages to discover the, uh, island city of Rilia. And it's, it's just this, this horrible place. Uh, and they, they very foolishly go on land and they, and they go searching for, uh, geometry. And it's, it's just like, uh, it was, uh, sorry. They, they they very foolishly go on land and and they go searching for a souvenir. I had a Lovecraftian slip there, <laughs> and uh, it, it's just this this horrible benighted place, right? The 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 shore is is all slimy, and then they 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 get to the to the buildings and Lovecraft keeps saying that the geometry of the place is is all wrong and the buildings are non-Euclidean which is like, I just have the hardest time picturing. It's 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 like if you told me about a four-sided triangle like I 
I think that was his best way of trying to explain thing that was once again unexplainable. Mm. Uh, when you hear non-Euclidean and you actually know what Euclidean means, um, that, uh, it's it's extremely hard because we live in a Euclidean world. Um, a friend of mine once said the best way to explain non-Euclidean is to have two parallel lines that at some point they're going to cross. You know, it's it's an impossible think that uh, someone of our dimension, third dimension, it's just, it's impossible to wrap your mind around. It, 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 it actually reminds me of um, way, way back when, when I was first talking about a princess of Mars, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs in, in, introduces the concept that, that on Mars, they have two colors of light that are not part of the normal, you know, Roy G. Biv... Uh, spectrum, which is basically impossible, right? The, 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 the human eye can't see colors that, that are, you know, outside of, of that spectrum, but Burroughs didn't, didn't, I guess, know that, and, and he, he tried to de- describe how John Carter was seeing these, these colors that no one had ever seen before, which you can't really describe to anybody, so it, it, it kind of comes off like that. The, the island was made up of these buildings that were so huge and met at weird angles. And beyond that, I can't describe them to you other than to say that they were non-Euclidean and the geometry was, was, was wrong. Right, Eric? Yes. Uh, they go about, they can't comprehend the massivity, the Cyclopean structures that are there. Uh, basically, it's a, it's a, it's described as a monstrous acropolis. Yeah, the, 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 actually, the, the best representation of the, the wrong geometry thing uh, was, was, was actually in the silent film, the, the Call of Cthulhu, which I think was, was basically made by this, by this like, fan group. Um, but they, 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 they actually filmed the part where the sailors are running away from, uh, Cthulhu and they're, they're going down these steps and one of the actors, uh, falls between two, like two of the steps where they, where they should join. And they, and they did it by like a weird camera trick where, like like the steps were actually like two different different objects and they they just filmed it from a, from a weird angle so that like you didn't see the gap but like like that's that's the best visual representation i've seen of 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 what lovecraft is is trying to uh de- describe here just 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 the wrongness of 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 everything but okay so uh, uh eventually these these sailors they 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 find this this giant vault with a big old door in it, and of course they go crawling around on it. Like, what? What is this thing? And 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 just at and 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 just then at the at the at the climax of the of of the story, this 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 huge towering vault opens up and Cthulhu pops out, and all hell breaks loose and everyone just starts running for it. And the like here, here's where, like here, here's where where we get Lovecraft trying to describe the 
indescribable, right? All, all throughout this, this, this story we've been hearing, oh, it's, it's big, it's like a dragon, it's got, it's got an, an octopus head, uh, we, we, we know that, that it, it's got wings, uh, when, when he's describing the, the statue, he actually, like, goes into, like, the, the, the proportion of its, of the length of its arms in relation to its, to its, uh, body, uh, now we get, and and I'm actually trying to find the, yeah. the passage here. Now, yes. now we get the thing cannot be described, and and thing is in like capital letters. Mm. There is no language for such abysms of sh- shrieking and immemorial lunacy, such eldritch contradictions of all matter, force, and cosmic order. A mountain walked or stumbled. I th- I I think that's the most the. Uh, famous phrase from this this yeah. d- description: a, a a mountain walked or or stumbled. Yeah, and they even say later on in the same paragraph, it says the stars were right again, and what an age-old cult had failed to do by design, a band of innocent sailors had done by accident. So, the cult thing didn't succeed, but the uh, the band of adventurers just by accident just Pressed a button and all, all hell broke loose. This is, this, and this is probably one of the most de- depicted scenes in in artwork from from all of Lovecraft's stories. <laughs> my my personal favorite happens to be the one uh, from the fifth and sixth edition cover of the Call of Cthulhu role playing game, which if you you haven't seen it, it's 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 all blue, and you you just see these these weird kind of conical buildings and and this really tiny ship in in the foreground and Cthulhu him himself is just rising over everything like like the mountains of of Mordor like he's the he's the personification of an entire mountain range and he's just just, just looming over everything um, and I don't have it in front of me and I don't know who the artist was but I will definitely get it for it for the show notes yeah, but the Oh, sorry. No, Dan. Okay, yeah. Um, actually, I, I have to agree with you. That's a great artwork. Um, they, it's, it's, it's all in like uh, these shades of blue, except for the ship. And the ship is this, uh, like you can tell, it's like a large ship, but it's so small in comparison to everything else. And in fact, that's one of one of my favorite scenes in this story. Is when uh, they go and they oh, and they go out of their way to to say how big this this door this portal was. It's monstrously. It's it's a huge and gigantic. And then they have Cthulhu. Um, it lumbered slobberly into sight, groping and squeezed its gelatinous green immensity through the back door. So you have this huge door that is like so big. It's and then this creature actually has to squeeze himself out uh the the imagery is is just it's wonderful i mean when someone walks up to um a cavern in D, and they're like oh well there's a dragon here obviously and then a dragon like just like literally breaks open the cavern to come out you know and it just like it really makes all the players like uh is uh, you know what? Uh, um, my mom's calling me. I got to come back later. I'm sorry. Uh, and just that one image of this gigantic door, and then this thing bigger than the door, is 
it's, it's iconic is the best way to explain it. It's beautiful. And in, in my brain, uh, there's n- not much left in this story that is scarier than that image. Well, and, and there's not much left in the, in the story. Cthulhu appears on the second to last page of the story. Cause from, from there, like you've, you, like it's, it's basically all, all, all over. Uh, most of the, of the sailors die right then, then and there. Uh, three of them get get swept up by by this flabby fl- claws. Yeah, which is uh, great because in the Call of Cthulhu role playing game, I believe one of Cthulhu's abilities is he literally grabs up and eats one d three investigators around. <laughs> yeah, w- without even making an a, an attack roll. Yeah, it's just uh, automatic. And then, and then and, uh, like uh, I I I think two more just die of fright. Uh, one of them uh, slips into the cracks of this weird, like he 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 slips into an angle that was acute, but behaved as if it were were obtuse. Which again, I have no idea what that means, but it sounds weird. Um, and only Yo- Johansson and an- another guy make it back to to the boat, and the other guy dies of like fright and exposure days later. But Johansson manages to to steer the prow of the boat into Cthulhu's like uh, body as mm-hmm. as Cthulhu is slipping into to, to the ocean. So it basically plays out like the finale of Disney's The The Little Mermaid, which having having seen Disney's The The, the Little Mermaid before I read this story makes it incredibly uh, funny. But so, like he he pops Cthulhu like a like a balloon, and 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 then the the last thing he sees as he's making his getaway is is Cthulhu is is actually reforming out of out of mist. Yeah, they uh, they basically state earlier on in this uh, um, story that they're not made of flesh; they're made of aether or, or whatnot. So they they go in a very decent uh, example of they're not flesh and blood like us; they're alien. They are completely outside of what we consider reality, and that is a uh, another great example of okay, well, this ship just rammed into. Um, uh, Cthulhu was like chest deep in the ocean waters. This ship rams into his chest. It pops him like a balloon. Okay. Uh, the bow of a ship just took down a mountain, but it's not enough. The mountain is now just crawling together and kind of oozing its way, reforming itself into uh, uh, the, the creature that it was before. Creepy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like the end of uh, the Iron Giant. Anybody see the Iron Giant? I've seen it a long time ago. I haven't seen that. It was, back it was again. Vin Diesel's finest role. <laughs> okay, what, better than Groot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we are we are we are an hour into this uh, re, 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 recording, so I will I will just wrap things up. So we we yeah. learned that uh, the the. The stars apparently were not right, or they were only right temporarily, or you know something went wrong with with the ritual. Because obviously Cthulhu did not then and there de- de- destroy the world. And when people go sailing over that spot, they don't they don't find uh, really a, it's it's all gone. But our 
pro- protagonist who's been who who's just been reading about all this stuff. He hasn't he hasn't he hasn't experienced any of these monsters or anything firsthand. He's just read a a, a whole bunch of journals. Oh. We're just we're just left with with him being the 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 only person in the world to have this horrible knowledge that a all of this is real and b the cultists are still still out there and yeah. any moment one of them could just bump him him off the way they they bumped off his his uncle and the way they bumped off Yo, Johansson so I like what you did there bump jostled him I... <laughs> <laughs> But but uh, basically, going going back to a theme that I think we we first explored in um, from from beyond, uh, Dan. I think I think you you and I did did that story. Um, the the hero in in uh, from beyond is is left with this horrible knowledge, and. That 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 there's that that there's creatures out there and there's worlds be, beyond his uh, his his understanding and we have, we have we have the same sort of sort of ending here. Uh, yeah, it uh, the the ending with him uh, uh, with all this uh, th- this knowledge that he obviously can't share, uh, for it would be too dangerous to share, or nobody or, or worse, uh, you know, nobody would believe him or they would believe him and th- try summoning him. Um, and the fact that he would, uh, it, it, it seems like he'd rather be dead than, uh, to know he would do anything to forget what he has learned. Basically okay. death would be a release from this horrible burden that he has in his mind right now of what he knows. And he actually in the end wishes that whenever he passes away, when the time comes, his executors may put c- caution before audacity, as they say, and be sure that all his documents that he has, knows, nobody sees that. So basically, since he was an executor for his grand uncle's state, folks should not be doing what he did. So this is this is the part of the show where I normally ask my my guests what what inspiration could you take from this story and put in your Dungeons and Dragons game, but I I think we've basically covered it it all. This this entire story plays out like a a a well it 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 plays out like a Call of Cthulhu campaign. It 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 starts with a with a with a small detail, which which just leads to an an, an investigation into this 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 larger world. But I mean, you could also structure a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. This the this way you you start with kobolds you know uh, attacking a village and it turns out the kobolds are part of this evil cult that that's all that's all over the world and so on and wow. and 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 so forth it's this this story has cultists which are prevalent in d and it's it's got you know uh, elder gods you know uh, weird weird idols uh, ritual uh, killings happening in in swamps, uh, uh, assassination. I mean, this this story has it all. Yeah. Well, D and D has classics being used, uh, Call of Cthulhu mythos in there throughout its history since its start, and it keeps popping up from time to time. And 
you still see some right now, even in, in the latest version of D and D, where one of the warlocks, one of the packs, that they can make a pack with one of the with the great old ones. To yeah, great, I, I, in power. I, I remember in uh, fourth edition when they they basically made up their their own great old ones because I don't I don't think they could they could use the Cthulhu names, but. Now with with fifth edition, they they just come right out and say, yeah, you can you can worship Cthulhu. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, when, when it comes to D and D, one of their most classic and iconic uh, uh, monster races, I feel, is the Mind Flayer. Uh, I mean, and that if that that's not just flat out saying, hey, this is Cthulhu, you know, minus the wings. I I don't know what it, what does. Yeah, yeah, I I, I almost completely for, forgot about. Uh, about the mind flayers, but you're you're absolutely right. Plus, uh, the uh, gibbering mouthers is a bit like the shogoth in in the Cthulhu mythos. Well, we'll that so. we'll 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 get to that story later. But later, I, okay. I, I I was more looking for things that were specifically in this yes story, yes. but but yeah, I mean yes yes all of all of Lovecraft is is probably worth reading and uh, makes good inspiration for your for your game. I mean you could yeah. you could make an entire campaign out of the story of Inspector Legrass having yes. having you know characters who are city po- policemen, town guards who have to go out into the wilds cuz the cuz the farmers and or or whatever are complaining about uh degenerate lizard folk or or you know humans you know, druids or whatever, worshiping well, demons, right? I could even see for prof- the story that Professor Webb does when he goes to West Greenland. Uh, the, there's the classic adventure for D and D, the uh, the Isle of Dread. You could easily ad- adapt Isle of Dread and add some Cthulhu and you have this tribal culture that are worshiping the great old ones like Cthulhu that are right there that you encounter. I I, I can't wait. To see if someone makes an, an adventure about the wizard priests of West Greenland, <laughs> I think I think that would be the most excitement that Greenland has ever seen in, in its entire existence. For role playing games, yes. <laughs> and if, if if anyone out there is is from Greenland and feels uh, offended, um, come on the show and tell me why you think Greenland should be. Considered exciting. That is my challenge to you. All right, everyone. Uh, I I I want to thank my, my my guest Dan, and I want to thank my guest Eric. Uh, this was an excellent discussion, um, and we will be back in. Uh, uh, we will be right back with a discussion of the Call of Cthulhu role playing game. So stay tuned. Now we're we're going to do something uh, unusual on, on the show, but we're we're actually going to describe to you, the listeners, the Call of Cthulhu role playing game. And the reason that I I wanted to, to to do this is because I mean this this role playing game is is almost as old, and and nearly as classic as Dungeons and Dragons itself. And and many of you listeners are probably familiar with with the tropes of this role-playing game and and have heard of the game, but I'm surprised by the the number of people who have not actually played the Call of Cthulhu game. And and I think of of everyone here, only only Eric 
you've you've actually played the actual Call of Cthulhu role playing game. I played it. I've ran it. So did some variations in both French and English. I to be honest, I played it maybe three four times in college, but not nearly as much as GURPS or D twenty. And and Dan, you're you're a huge Lovecraft fan, but you've you you ran for me uh, Call of Cthulhu D twenty. Uh, well, that was uh, more uh, modern with a, a, a Cthulhu D20 uh, rules in there. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have actually never ran nor played uh, Call of Cthulhu because most of my gaming groups just want to go around hacking things, not actually uh, investigating right. uh, things. So brief, brief history of the game. Uh, Call of Cthulhu is published by a company called Chaosium. Uh uh, Chaosium was started by a man named Greg Stafford, who, according to the history of Chaosium on RPG.net, purchased the first copy of Dungeons & Dragons ever sold. Uh, a, a, a colleague of his apparently ran into Gary Gygax while, printi- while, while picking up some things at, at a printing house, and, and Gary Gygax was, p- was picking up the first printing of, of Dungeons and & Dragons and, and sold it to this guy. Who, who passed it along to uh, Greg Stafford, founder of Chaosium. Um, the the actual Call of Cthulhu role playing game was uh, it, it was originally going to be a game called I think Dark World. Um, I had an article pulled up with where, let me let me let me just find the page. I remember an apocryphal story about uh, the origin of Call of Cthulhu. I don't know if this is true or not, but supposedly Greg Stafford really wanted to make a game that was set in the 1920s, um, and he didn't really care what it was about so long as it was set in the 1920s. And it was Sandy Peterson who was like, hey, let's make it about the, uh, the Lovecraft mythos. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, the. Uh Call of, Call of Cthulhu, the, the first role-playing uh, role horror game, was designed by uh, Sandy Peterson, who later went on to work on uh, the video game Doom and its sequel, Doom 2. Uh, and uh, I, I actually ran into Sandy Peterson at, uh, at uh, Gen Con uh, last year when, when he was showing off his, his uh, Cthulhu Wars miniatures game that, that he had kickstarted and those miniatures looked awesome I saw the kickstarter uh, campaign and it does look yeah. fantastic but you know yeah, basically it was in 81 was Call of Cthulhu released by Chaosium it was actually the second licensed RPG yeah their, their yeah. first was um, uh, the um, based on Elric of Melnaborn. Actually, Elric was later. Stormbringer. Stor- uh, uh... Okay. the The original con- conception of Call of yeah. Cthulhu was was Dark Worlds, a, a a game commissioned by the publisher Chaosium, but but never published. So I don't I don't I don't know. Yeah. All right. Uh, Call of Cthulhu has gone is, is is now in its sixth edition, and a seventh edition was kickstarted last year, and is is, is not in print yet. You um, can get the uh, quick start rules. You can get the quick start rules, and backers have received uh, the 
digital print co- digital uh, copies. I have back the same edition. Oh, awesome! Well, you'll, so. you'll 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 have to tell me all about it. But but basically, from what I understand, the 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 rules of Call of Cthulhu have not really changed since uh, first first edition. I I I own edition five point five. Uh, I've I've flipped through the sixth edition book, and it's as far as I can tell, it's basically the the same book. They just changed the typeface and the and the layout. Uh, there, there are minor tweaks at edition of little details that that also, if you are really looking through it, you can find them. Uh, like one edition, from one edition, the basic skills. Did not first certain skills had no values, but then later on, all the skill had a minimum of one percent. Since you might want to say that Call of Cthulhu uses is a skill based system that uses percentiles to do all your ability, all your skills. So if you have a skill of a, of anthropology, you would have a percentage chance maybe of twenty percent. So you have twenty percent chance mm-hmm. of discovering something. Or answering a question in regards to anthropology. All right. So um, after after Sandy Peterson uh, moved on, Call of Cthulhu has mostly been written by uh, Lynn Willis, uh, who since fifth edition has been credited as as the as the co-author. Chaosium, the the company, uh, has has gone through several ups and downs, and yeah. and right now. Call of Cthulhu is really the only thing that they that they publish. And if you if you go to their website. Um, it's not very impressive. It really looks like it's being maintained by two guys uh, out of their their basement or something. But at at one time, Chaosium published a whole bunch of role playing games like Stormbringer, uh, Pendragon, uh, RuneQuest. But it, it it just seems like they as a, as a company have 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 not. Uh, flourished like uh, Wizards of the Coast and and Paizo. They've they've sort of shrunk, and this is sort of all they do anymore. Uh, and there and there and there aren't really even supplements for Call of Cthulhu coming out anymore, uh, except from like third parties and things. But um, so Call of Cthulhu uses the the basic role playing system, the 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 BRP. Uh, which which has its own its own book if you if you if you want to buy it. But as Eric was saying, it's ba- it's it's a percentile system. You have a whole bunch of skills from 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 A to Z, like anything you 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 could think of, and you you roll percentile dice, and as long as you get under your skill, you you succeed. Correct. And. Yes. There's, there's like just in in the in the uh, edition I have. There's there there there's lots of like um, on the fly ways that that a uh, game master or or keeper as they're called can like generate a number. Like it it it's, it sometimes says oh add add two of the character's stats together and and have the character roll underneath that number or you know, add their toughness plus the damage they took and have them roll underneath that number for something. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really like, as, as opposed to a, a, uh, tactical system, like, like dungeons and, and, and dragons. Um, it's the, 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 the rules are very loose. 
They're very loose. Also, unlike Dungeons Dragons, where you're, where as you go about and play multiple scenarios, well, that usually in D and D you level up and you get more powerful. In uh, in Call of Cthulhu, it's 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 a much more organic way of incre- of increasing of increasing abilities. Uh, one, your physical abilities, like your hit points, will never change. You you start out you start out on average around maybe ten hit points, and a numeral a, like a a gun will probably do a d ten points of damage. So there's a good chance if you get in a fight, you're probably gonna pass away. But but, but uh, in, but, in in a, in addition to hit points, what your character also has, and this this is unique to Call of Cthulhu, and what possibly makes it most famous is you have sanity points yes it is one of the first it is the first personality mechanics in role-playing game history which spawn other ones like from pendragons which get more details and all that where basically when you face an element of cosmic horror or find a dead body or something that's would shake you will basically roll a personality you, ro- you would roll a person personal dice, and if you if you get equal to or under your current score of sanity, which goes from one to ninety nine, you uh, you basically you're okay. You might you, you will either not lose any points, or depending on how horrifying this thing is, you might lose a few. But if you fail, so if you get higher than that, that value, then you lose sanity points, and thus you get a, a a decline in your in your mental stability. And that, and they include in there um, different uh, mental neuroses that you can ex- probably experience. Yeah, the, the 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 sanity chapter is 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 really really interesting. They 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 go into into detail on 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 a whole bunch of uh, mental di- disorders that your that, that your character can can get. I I I like the chart that just lists e- examples of sanity point costs, like starting with surprise to find mangled animal carcass, which you know, is, is not very terrible. And it goes all the way up to see gigantic severed head fall from the sky, <laughs> which, which, yeah. which causes you, you to lose two D 10 plus one sanity. And then to see great Cthulhu causes you to lose one D 100 sanity, which would probably just kill you outright. Yeah. The, uh, uh, the, Sanity system is very unique because uh, in other games um, that I've seen any type of like uh, um, mental or uh, personality shifts, uh, 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 like D&D, a charm person, it's temporary. There's very few spells that affect your mind, um, you know, that's going to uh, uh, take you out of the game forever. Um, or even for the next three or four games, uh, I, uh, since it's more of an action-based uh, system. But this uh, game, it's uh, oh yeah, you um, you 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 read a book, you're now crazy. You know, it's it's and you, the fact that you can lose sanity from a plethora of different things is uh, yeah, monsters, you go crazy. 
books, you go crazy. Um, you know, oh, you pick up a snow globe, you see yourself holding a snow globe in a snow globe, you go crazy. Um, or at least lose sanity, which uh, does lead uh, to uh, possible uh, disorders. And the disorders that they have in the book is uh, uh, pretty impressive, including a phobia listing, uh, which, of course, I'm sure you can find a bigger one on uh, Wikipedia these days, but um, I, I, I love the, the system and how they connect with one another. Yeah, I, I, I personally just love how, how the rulebook is just a jumble of, of tables and, and sidebars and just lists of, of things. There's, there's a section that's just a list of Lovecraft monsters, and then there's a section that just lists a whole bunch of books like like ancient books that your that your character could find in in all sorts of languages and and who wrote them, and then there there's a a a list of gods and then there's there's statted up uh, NPCs from Lovecraft's stories. Like you just page through this book and you just find all sorts of random stuff. It's really frustrating when you're trying to run the game and and actually like find a rule, but there's not that many rules to to begin with, so it kind of do- doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it, I mean, uh, this is one of the, the game systems that um, could be frustrating to new players or a blessing. Uh, because if you uh, at least know the basics of the rules, you can bluff your way through it. As, um, you know, just uh, be able to say, okay, well, I can't find this rule in under 30 seconds. This is what's going to happen. You know, it, it's very easy to uh, learn. So the the very first uh, adventure supplement published for Call of Cthulhu was Shadows of Yog Yog Sothoth, which which basically uh, set the format for every single campaign length uh, Call of Cthulhu adventure that would come after. It it, it basically it, it it structured a lot like the Call of Cthulhu story it, itself, where the characters start with a small mystery like somebody's missing. And it, it, it slowly turns into this larger and larger plot, and eventually you're uh, in t- Tibet, you know, trying to, to, to stop a ritual, going to other planes of existence, and your characters prob- prob- probably die. Um, despite the, the deadliness of the system, it, 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 it is actually possible to, to, to have... Uh, long-running uh, campaigns with this system, where you you have characters that go from episode to episode, psychotic break to psychotic break. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, I have run a campaign for uh, Call of Cthulhu that span over a year uh, of semi-weekly games. Bi-weekly games, as we were playing through it, we went through about halfway through the campaign story of the fungi from the fungi from Yogot uh, campaign settings. So these these days, there's there's a, a, a bunch of campaign length books that, that you, you can buy. I mean, they're, they're basically ad, adventure paths in, in one gi- giant book. Um, there, th- you you can buy supplements that that detail uh, various cities, both from uh, Lovecraft's fictional uh, world, like like Arkham and and uh, Dunwich and Ramsey Campbell's uh, Goatwood, Goatwood, 
Uh, I also have a book on my shelf called Secrets of, of Japan. You can you can find books on, on other real world cities like uh, New 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 York that that just you know if 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 you want to run a a horror campaign in one of these cities, it'll tell you all about the 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 culture of the the the, the real world place and uh, you know sort of sort of like yep. like World of Darkness, you know uh, things that that you might you might find there. Yeah. Um, there, there's also uh, uh, Cthulhu games that, that can be set in in various uh, uh, times. Uh, classic Call of Cthulhu is 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 in the 1920s, yes. but they 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 came out with uh, Cthulhu by by Gaslight, which is uh, takes place in the in the in the, in the 1800s. There's uh, Cthulhu Now, Cthulhu Invictus, Cthulhu yes. Dark Ages. Eric, uh, there is Atomic Age Cthulhu. Uh, there is uh, there's also uh, the recently for uh, Cthulhu in World War Two. There's a Great War Cthulhu which could be in World War One. If you want fantasy films, uh, there's also the Dreamlands, which is also in those homes where they ha- you can actually they have the campaign book for the Dreamlands. And there's One Delta Green, I- which is set in the late nineties. Yeah, late nineties Delta Green. If, which is if, yeah, more if, if if you want to play like special forces versus yeah uh there's the laundry which is also based uh in lovecraft which is british intelligence bureaucracy but slight slight comedic bent uh of, of dry humor uh which is said modern times and 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 that's actually one of the one of the third party products that's that's that, that's yeah. put out by cubicle seven publishers of the doctor who role-playing yeah. game and and the one ring they also put out uh cthulhu Brit- britannica not that long ago which i think won all kinds of uh awards yeah. so the 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 call of cthulhu role-playing game is is lots of things and it's 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 grown beyond chaosium at at this point and there was famously uh Call of Cthulhu D20 in the early two two thousands, which uh, was sort of derided by by longtime Call of Cthulhu fans because just the, the whole idea of putting this this vague cosmic horror horror into a well defined system where you you fight monsters instead of running away from them just doesn't quite work. Um, Dan, like we mentioned previously, you you ran an, an excellent game using D20 modern rules. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I basically uh, I ran a game uh, that uh, you were in uh, where I pit a bunch of normal people um, against these um, the, the horrors of the night. Now, uh, the aspect of the game was not for you to actually fight every single monster you came across. There was, I mean, just the, the, the you know, cure the bloodlust of the 20 players, you do throw a couple of uh, monsters that uh, they do battle. Um, but there was a, a, even one section in the game where they, they were basically uh, in a hotel in the dreamlands and they were just encountering uh, these horrible visions, these images. Uh, they're walking down a, a, a hotel room and the walls begin to bleed. Um, and the, the, the end goal was to have the villain, uh, be uh, to be completely immune to uh, to attacks uh, for the most part, and to have you you think at him. Yeah, that uh, was that was fun. I, I I think my character basically defeated the villain by being a total ass. Yes, yes, he did. Um, <laughs> but basically, uh, uh, everyone's like, "Oh my!" Everyone is 
rightfully freaking out when they're seeing, you know, headless apes charging them and, and so forth. Uh, and uh, Jeff's like, yeah, this is just another day. <sighs> I see this all the time. <laughs> I, I I managed to be very Peter Vankman about it. I just I just choked it all down and yeah. But okay, uh, that that was a fun camp, camp campaign. Um, I think I think Eric and Jeff want to talk about Trail of Cthulhu, which oh, I've heard but, a lot about. Yeah, a bit before that. One thing that's nice about the scenarios for Call of Cthulhu is the amount of uh, handouts that get given out that you can go so you, that you can photocopy or print out PDF and thus when the players find a clue or something like that you can physically give out a paper, a newspaper clipping, a piece of a journal a picture or something like that and they actually have a physical clue that they can look and look for clues inside there which actually adds an element to the game yeah, I'm, I'm actually reading here on Wikipedia that in, in some of the original box sets, you actually had, like, matchbooks and business cards that you could actually hand to players. These days, they, they just put that stuff in the back of the book, and you're expected yeah. to, like, reproduce it somehow, which isn't, th- isn't quite as awesome. I but. think the, the latest horror... Because they did a Kickstarter for a box set of the Horror, horror on the Orient Express... I saw the box at Gen Con this year. It's a big, thick box. feels very full. Apparently, there's lots of material. There are handouts and stuff like that to run a campaign set on the Orient Express. That's that's awesome. I, I, so. I, I hope one day that, that the role-playing game industry can somehow figure out how to get back to uh, box sets and make it an actual viable uh, business model because, I mean, those things were, were awesome. Yeah. Um, Okay, but Trail of Cthulhu, go. <laughs> Trail of Cthulhu was released in 2008. It's a uh, completely different RPG based on the writings of H.P. Lovecraft. It has no direct connection to Call of Cthulhu, uh, although you know obviously it uses a lot of the same concepts. Uh, it, characters have sanity that decreases and they investigate and fight the mythos. It's nominally set in the 1930s instead of the 1920s. Uh, I think just because the 1930s were a slightly underserved decade relative to the 1920s when Call, uh, Trail of Cthulhu was being well, it was together. it was the era of prohibition and and gangsters, right? And if if, if you're going to be a be a detective, that's sort of like like the classic hard boiled detective decade, right? Great Depression, rise of fascism. Um, the the thing about Trail of Cthulhu that really set it as different from Call of Cthulhu is its skill system. Um, the Trail of Cthulhu uses what's called the gumshoe system, which was designed by Robin Laws. And the the basic premise of the gumshoe system is that uh, it attempts to address a common problem that you see in investigative games where everybody rolls their their spot hidden skill or what have you and then everybody fails and they don't find the clue that is necessary to progress to the next uh to the next scene to to know what to do right i was uh, i was i was actually hearing a lot about this game when it, it was coming out on on various podcasts and people will always say that oh you you watch cop shows and and the cops never fail to find the clue the the interesting part is how they how they 
work. How they interpret it, how right. they understand what it is. It's not a question of, of finding it, uh, of, of getting the info. It's a question of how to interpret the info and making the decision of how to proceed based on that info. Right. You're, you're, you're professionals. You've got your, your fingerprint kit. You're, you're very systematically searching everything. You're, you're not going to miss something important. It's, 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 it's all about, about the players using their, using their brains. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a skill written on your character sheet and uh, that a successful use of that skill will reveal a clue, then um, you, you get that clue when you investigate using that skill. If you are looking at a bunch of bugs and you have the forensic entomology skill uh, and there's something about these bugs that will give you the information necessary to, uh, necessary to solve the mystery then you just you get that information. You don't have to roll your forensic entomology skill uh, because then you might fail, and if you fail, you're just standing there looking at bugs, not knowing what to do. So, uh, Eric, Jeff, have you played or run this system? I have played it. I have never run it. It uh, looks, from the outside, it looks like a lot of work involved in running it. Uh, because the the obvious like objection to this system, what I what strikes me about it, at least, and what I've heard other people say, is that it sounds really railroady, right? You go to a crime scene, you or a a, a horrific uh, place, and you investigate, and you get the clues that the game master has decided that you need to have, and gives them to you, and they lead you to the next scene, that leads you to the next scene, and you're not actually making any decisions. Um, is the is the the criticism of it that I I hear a lot, and the way around that is that you don't make a railroad where there's one clue that leads to one next scene. Mm. You create, uh, you know, a dozen different scenes, and with knowledge that only the player characters are only going to go through half or a third of them uh, before they have essentially solved the mystery and figured out what they're going to do. What about you, Eric? Have have you played this game? I have not played specifically Trail of Cthulhu, but I've been currently helping out for the new one that's coming out called Time Watch, which is a time travel base using the gumshoe, en- gumshoe engine. And they even have a in it a uh, Meadows version where you are, from the description, uh, you are sensitives in the 1930s, and then and you, with a ritual as being part of the Silver Key you send your mind at different times to stop the middle entities, mostly the Yethians and those, and then, uh, to stopping the changes that could occur in the world. So, uh, great race of Yeth, those sons of bitches. Yes. Well, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to them uh, on this show eventually. So, Screw those guys, Jeff. Uh, oh. Okay, uh, Jeff, is, is it really... Eventually, or, or you already, or because of the nature of time, you already did it. But we're just going to listen later on. See that right there. That's what makes the great race of youth jerks is that they'll you know, they'll spout these stupid Zen Cohens about the nature of time at you. Ooh, you. We come far from the future after humanity is extinct, and after humanity is extinct, you know, it's not even us yet. The world isn't ready for us yet, and it's going to be giant spiders. <laughs> It'd just be nice for them to, you know, show up and say. By the way, the lotto, lotto numbers of next week will be. <laughs> those are those are those are the things from uh, the the Mountains of Madness, right? Uh, Shadow out of time. 
So oh, the madness are the elder things. Okay. The great race of Yith are unique among uh, Call of Cthulhu uh, monstrous races because they're the only race that is a greater independent race. There are lesser servitor races, greater servitor races, and lesser independent races, but the only one that's classified as a greater independent race is the great race of Yith. It's right there in their name. That's why they're yeah. the... Yeah, the, there, there you go. Okay, all right. But so for, for Trail of Cthulhu, it's not a fully uh, diceless or randomless game. For the, for the investigation of part, you, you have your skills that you investigate and get clues, but for the more action-based, if you're going to be going to find all that, you do have a pool of points that you can use, so you roll a, you roll a six-sided dice to be the, be the target number, which is usually four, so you have about 50% chance. But with your points, of, your, your points that you have for your skill, let's say you have eight points in shoot, then you decide before you make the roll how many points you're going to spend on your roll. So if you if the difficulty is four and you spend three points, you don't even make your roll because you spent. But if you but once spent, they're spent. So basically it's a risk management system for mm-hmm. purposes of the action and also for mm-hmm. purposes of uh, when you're trying to do because the the sanity section is different than Cthulhu where you have uh, what they call pillars of stability. Stuff that you will that your character that your character believes in, or use that as support. And that can, those things can erode. So when your stability goes to a certain point, you will lose that faith in in certain things. Okay, so I think I think we've pretty well described Trail of Cthulhu. Yeah. Does Does anyone have any final thoughts on? Call of Cthulhu, the role-playing game, or Cthulhu games in general? Well, um, I do have to state that out of all the uh, the systems I've ever played, and I, I played quite a few, um, the call, uh, when, when it comes to skills, uh, Call of Cthulhu is probably uh, one of my favorite. I know it's pretty much all skills, but the aspect that if you use a skill in, 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 a, uh, in a game, you have the chance of actually getting better at it. It, it's it's uh, one of the few games that oh I don't ha- I'm not gonna just oh I just killed this kobold I'm now level two I'm better at investigations for some reasons no you actually have to use the skills to get better at them and I, I and I really like that aspect of this game I'll 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 tell you one thing about the about the BRP that that frustrates me is 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 that is that the players always know when they've succeeded and it, it's also very hard to have variable difficulty because your skill is a is a percentile and if you have a 50 percent chance of succeeding on a biology check let's say the the player just like oh i i look at the thing i make a a, a biology check and then you as as the keeper have to tell them something well that that can always um be circumvented (laughs) <laughs> you can say, oh, well, I'm going to make the biology check to find this out, and, well, it's really mangled, so, you, and you can just tell them, you know, very minimal information. Right, that's, that's, that's usually what I end up doing, but I, yeah. I like, I, I feel like it's a, it's a letdown to the, to the player who's like, oh, I'm, I need to figure out which skill to use. 
I'd like yeah. to throw that back in their face and say, okay, I have no idea what you get from a successful biology role. What do you think you should get from a successful biology <laughs> role? And then we'll hash it out. If and they then, have a the, terrible idea, I veto it. Yeah. There's also modifiers you can apply to the percentage, so, which you can retroactively do it well. So when a player rolls their, their success, even if they don't do success, they can tell you, okay, my skill is at 50. I rolled a uh, 48, so they've only made it by two. So if they had a penalty of like five or even 10%, which is, which is doable easily in, in Call of Cthulhu, they suddenly, they have not succeeded. So, so when, when, so when, well. when I'm the keeper, the, the, the penalty is your entire skill. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that, that is you, also you, possible. You have to roll a zero or a negative number. Okay. I think that Call of Cthulhu is similar to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons first edition, which it's kind of a contemporary of, in that it's not so much a complex, elaborate, uh, gamified rule set as it is a sort of set of tools for a game master to use to kind of improvise on the spot. Um, you have things like the idea role and um, power, so forth, just to, to, to create new avenues for delivering clues to the player characters when all else fails. Okay. Well, and, oh, Dan, uh, did, 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 did you have a final thought? Yeah, just one more thought. Uh, the thing, at least, uh, again, I, I only have 5.5. I don't have 6th edition. Uh, what I, I personally love as a Lovecraft fan is the amount of fluff that is in this book. I mean, the, I mean, the first, like, 20 pages is, I think, uh, uh, the uh, Call of Cthulhu, the, the actual story. And, yeah, yeah, it's Table of Contents and then, bam, Call of Cthulhu. Uh, and then it goes into great detail, like the, the whole chapter with books. It's not just saying, well, this book has spells in it. No, this book it has the deep, dark secrets of necromancers and this, that, and the other thing. It, it, there's a lot of fluff in it that I personally, as a Lovecraft fan, really do enjoy. Um, and they even tell you on some of the descriptions of the monsters, like where the, where the creature came from, what story. And, they and give you like a little blurb. I just I just love the pictures, and if you if you turn to page one hundred sixty seven and look at the picture of of Haster, uh, <laughs> I would I would say that's that's your flabby claws. Those those oh, yeah? claws look pretty look pretty flabby to me. <laughs> uh, Can I spend um, like forty five seconds or so just uh, extolling please. the virtues of Delta Green? Please please uh, do. This is the this is the game that I the Call of Cthulhu setting technically that I ran in college. It's uh, it's Call of Cthulhu meets the X Files. Uh, it's set in the late '90s, which was contemporary at the time, and the player characters are uh, sort of rogue government agents. You could be anything from a postal inspector to an FBI agent to a um, fish and wildlife guy. Uh, the bad guys are Majestic 12 and um, the keyed in by Nyarlathotep Mafia. Uh, and the, there's a couple of these huge, thick books, like 300 pages or so, Delta Green and uh, Delta Green Countdown, the supplement, which are, there's maybe four, five pages of rules material in them, like total. Everything else is uh, is setting. It's explanation of why 
the Migo from Yugoth have decided to disguise themselves as gray aliens and are pulling one over on uh, Majestic 12, which, spoiler warning, that's like a huge secret, uh, incidentally, so sorry about that. <laughs> but there's a, um, a huge amount of, of richness to that setting. And it, like I said, I played it in the late 90s when the X-Files and Millennium and Y2K, all of that felt really current and of the moment. Uh, I don't know that going back to Delta Green now, 15 uh, or, more, you know, or more years later, would really give quite the same effect. But, well, doing, uh, doing like espionage plus Cthulhu would, would still work today. Yeah. We, we still have spy movies. I mean, you can, yeah. you can really like mash Cthulhu into, into any genre. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that is true. There was a um, one of the the optional. Well, there was an NPC group, which was basically an alternative campaign framework presented, where the uh, the player characters were the crew of a sort of a um, a, a current affair or twenty twenty, some kind of news magazine style uh, journalism. And the idea was that they were is uh, were going around and investigating these uh, mysterious happenings. Um, to get good television out of it, which was not exactly orthogonal to determining the secrets of the universe, but uh, there was not a lot of overlap there. I, I like that word or orthogonal. That's that's well, that that word comes from geometry. In, in one campaign that I played for the where I actually was a player for Mask of Nyarlathotep, I was actually playing a National Geographic Society journalist. Which just fits totally in, into the the Cthulhu mythos as being an investigator investigating like ancient anthropological stuff, cultures, and all that. So that was that was fun to do. Awesome. But, but for final thoughts for me on Cthulhu, one of my favorite things about those is the scenarios. How they're they basically lay out uh, certain certain things, uh, certain goals of the characters, but they leave it really, really loose. Of They don't have a specific timeline or they don't have a specific thing, so you can really improvise based on what the players are doing, but basically there's clues here and there about what's happening and what, it, what the group discovers. So it's not like Dungeons Dragons where you're okay in room one, you have a kobold you have five kobolds protecting this treasure of a lost type thing. No, it's more investig- because of the investigation, you just have little goals and characters. So Awesome. All right. I I really think it's time to wrap things up. Um this has been an amazing discussion. I wanna thank all of you for joining me and I wanna thank uh the listeners for listening and we'll see you next time listeners if you have questions or comments for me if you would like to be a guest on the show or contribute in some fashion you can contact me through the tome show at the tome show at gmail.com make sure to put appendix n in the subject line 
My guests were Dan Samil, Eric Paquette, and Jeff Wickstrom. You can email Jeff Wickstrom at jeffwick at gmail.com, and he also has a website at jeffwick.com. He recently did a series of articles about J.R.R. Tolkien's elves from the Silmarillion, so go check that out. Our next episode will be Dwellers in the Mirage, another short story by A. Merritt. That will be coming out sometime in January or February. After that, we will begin to delve into the stories of Conan the Barbarian from Robert E. Howard. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 11, The Call of Cthulhu by H.P. Lovecraft. Thanks for listening.